0: Hey, this is John, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org forward slash youngadults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Matthew 6, starting in verse seven, ending in 13. It says, when you pray, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. And we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've given us here your word. You've given us how to pray. I ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts that you would open our minds and our ears to hear from you, Lord. That we would see you as you truly are. God, I pray that you would, through the power of your spirit, cause your word to dig deep into our hearts. God, I pray that we would know you. I truly know you. Better now, that we did before we came into this space. God, I pray that if there's anything that serves as distraction, God, I pray that if there's anything that we come that is too heavy or too burdensome to carry, that we would place it on your, at your feet, and that instead you would allow us to just hear from you. Words of life, words of regeneration, words of healing, words of goodness, that wherever we are most lacking, you are most eager to fulfill. In Jesus' name, we pray, Amen. You can be seated. So, we all have a place that we really enjoy, like food-wise, but it's like sort of embarrassing, like the most basic place. Like, like some of you like checkers, and I'll pray for you, um, because I don't, I don't think I've ever gone to checkers without, you know needing like stomach surgery afterward. Like it's just kind of gross. But but, but the one place that that, that my wife likes to kind of make fun of me about, and she says I'm really basic for enjoying, and I hope I find other people, um, is the Cheesecake Factory. Um, anybody enjoy Cheesecake Factory? Okay, I'm so glad. Well, we can, we can form our own basic community uh, and we can go there together and eat endless breadsticks that don't taste like Olive Gardens because they stink. Anyway, so I don't know about you, but but, but for those of, if those of you have gone to Cheesecake Factory, they're, they're, if for those of you who haven't, let me just kind of walk you to the experience. You, you, you kind of walk in and, and it's at the mall Millennia. So you're there for like two hours. So you're just waiting, right? Unless you kind of called ahead or went to the one near the other mall. That, that one doesn't exist. Like that one is in the middle of nowhere. No one cares about that one. But here you're waiting for like an hour, two hours. As so you're walking, they finally call you. You go in and it's kind of like they they've set the mood, but, they've, but like year round, the ACs is like blasting. So it's like, no matter what temperature it is, outside, it is negative 10 degrees. And so, you, I'm just letting y'all know if y'all want to go, bring a sweater with you. And so, you go in, they sit you down, and you, they give you these like assortment of breads, and it's amazing. And you're like, there's sweet bread, and there's white bread, and there's that bread. I don't even know all the names. There's all good bread, because you know, I've never found a piece of bread that I haven't liked unless it was moldy. And now, when you open up this menu, it's just 10 pages. Of endlessly, beautifully heart attacks just waiting to happen, but it's there. And you're like, this is amazing. I could have have a steak and and a cheesecake the size of my face and I can have this this fettuccine alfredo and this shrimp and this thing and you're like, which one do I choose? Right? Like I have what, you know, like I have choice paralysis. I'm like, I can't decide which one I want to get. Like which one is going to like send me to the hospital first? I don't know. So you're there, you're you're trying to pick it and you're like, I don't know how to decide. And the reality is I just flip a coin. I'm like minny, mini, mini, many mo. I'm going to just choose it. And often I feel like this is kind of what happens to me, and maybe you've experienced this too, when it comes to your prayer life. Like when you come and you sit down and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to choose to pray today, like if you've just chosen to do it, you, you're like, out of all the things I can pray for in my busy schedule, uh, what, should I, what should I spend my time praying? Like if I've got, got, got five minutes, if you've got five minutes to pray for something, what are you going to pray for? Store throw it out there. Seriously, I want you to give me answers here. Gratitude, patience. I'm, you guys are really great because I'm not. I am not praying for that. I'm just like, Lord, uh, I am feeling tired. I want you to make me feel better. Uh, I hope my work day ends quick. I hope no one bothers me. People stink, and I hope that you know the four-way stop doesn't upset me. Like these are things that I pray for. And so you're just, but you're like, but if you're like me, sometimes you just end up wondering, what should I spend my time praying for? How do I decide? Is it what makes me feel good? Is it, is it what, what helps me get ahead in life? Like, like, like for you, where where does the bulk of your prayer focus on? Tonight, we're going to talk about what the, what disciples of Jesus should spend their time praying on. You see, we're in a sermon series uh, for the next few months called Teach Us to Pray, and so this is our second week in this sermon series, and we're just exploring the topic of prayer, and so last week we explored the question, what is prayer? And if you're curious, I'll tell you, but you can also podcast it, Uh, but the main idea was that Jesus reveals to us that prayer is an intimate encounter with God, so as you're meeting with God in prayer, you are meeting face-to-face with the Father, that you are one with him and you are able to pray and come to him and know that he will reveal himself to you. But sometimes the question, but usually the next question in that list is, okay, I know what prayer is now. And so what do I actually do when I pray? Like what what should I spend my time praying for? And what I've come to see to be true is the things that I pray for most reveals what I truly desire in my life. That's the thing that I spend the most of my time praying for. So prayer reveals what we truly desire. But seldom do I find myself asking, "Hey God, like like what do you want?" God, like, "What do you want me to pray for? What what would bring you the great the most glory? What what would what would what would please you for me to pray for today?" You see, At least in my life, and maybe for yours, there seems to be this competing value system in my heart. Uh, on one end, I have my desires and the, the things that I want to see most be true in my life. I want to pay off my debt. I, I want to I want to own a home. Uh, I want to have 2.5 children. Uh, you know, I, that's kind of what the statistics are. Obviously, you can't have 2.5 children, but you know, on average, you know, and you want a white picket fence. And you know, I, I, maybe maybe I'd like to get a second car that doesn't look like a like a green Fiesta. Uh, I won't tell you who which of us drives it. Uh, but 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 these are the desires of my heart, and then, and then here's, here's, the, here's some of the desires that God desires for me, right? And, and if you don't know what those are, they're, they're in the scriptures, but, but, but it's things like, hey, like, I want you to be holy. Like, I, like, well, I, want, you, I want you to be generous. Uh, like, I, like, I want you to want what I want. I want you to desire the things that I desire. Uh, something that Rachel and I joke about a, a lot uh, at the beginning of the year, usually, right, uh, you know, people pray for a word for themselves over the year, right? Like, this year, it's patience because God knows I'm just, I'm just not patient or, 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 or God, uh, 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 well, I don't even know what it is. I just, I've kind of ignored it because I'm like, this is annoying. Uh, you know what the one, where, I remember uh, seeing a meme about it, but it was like, well, you know what no one ever says their word for the year is? Suffering. No one says pain is the word because, because we assume, right? Like what God desires for us is good. No doubt about it. God wants good for you. God wants good for me. What father wouldn't want good things for his son and for his daughter, right? But then we misunderstand what good means. We assume it means no suffering, no pain. But but you know what? You look at the life of the disciples. man. He must have hated them then. Look at the life of Paul being shipwrecked and beaten and, and ultimately martyred for the faith. Or you look at the life of Peter. The one who Jesus said, uh, upon your confession, I'm gonna build my church on the rock. That is your confession. And you look at the life of Peter as he comes to the end of his life, he gets crucified upside down because he feels unworthy to be crucified in the same way as his savior. Does that mean that God does not want good for him? No. It just just means that often we misunderstand what good is for God us, but nonetheless, there's this, still this battle in our hearts, in our prayer lives for, man, what do I pray for? Do I pray for the things that God wants or do I pray for the things that I desire? And here's the truth that I want to express throughout this evening. As we look and articulate what prayer is and what we should pray for, I just want to give you a vision of prayer for a second see, God wants to do a great work in this community. God wants to do a great and mighty work in the city of Winter Garden. God wants to do an unimaginable thing in the city of Orlando, and he wants to do it through our prayers. But often, we don't see it come to fruition because our prayers are directed in the wrong ways. I love what Andrew Murray says in his small little booklet. It's called Absolute Surrender. It should be called Absolute Wreckfest because it just wrecks me all the time. Yeah, so good. Thank you. It wasn't, yeah. He says this, God has a plan for his church upon earth, but alas, we too often make, we too often make our plan and we think that we know what ought to be done and we ask God first to bless our feeble efforts instead of absolutely refusing to go unless God go before us. What then should we pray for? Let's turn back to our text. We just, just read with me seven and eight again. And when you pray, Jesus says, Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Uh, Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So before we get to the Lord's Prayer, which is where we're going to be in focus tonight, which is verses 9 through 13, Jesus is giving uh, another precursor. He's giving like like a part two of introductory course to to his lesson on prayer. If you were here last week, we covered uh, verses five and six, which is Jesus's uh, discussion with his disciples about what the nature of prayer is. And so here he's doing another lesson about what prayer is and what prayer is not, at least what you should do in prayer and what you should not do in prayer. And so what does he say? Do not, he said, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. So last week, uh, Jesus' focus was on don't pray like the hypocrites. Here, he's saying don't pray like the Gentiles. Uh, and depending on the version that you're reading, uh, you might you see the word pagan. Don't pray as the pagans do. So, so who are these people that Jesus is referring to? Simply, they are people who do not believe in God. It's not that they're not spiritual, Uh, you know, contrary to, to, to common belief, most of human history have been very spiritual people. Doesn't mean they believed in God. They were just open to the idea of spirits. And so here we have people, pagans, who don't believe in God, but they believe in little gods like the Greek gods. But these people do not share a relationship with God the Father. And in these verses, Jesus is highlighting uh, the fact that the relationship in which Christians share with God is and has to be fundamentally different than the relationship the Greeks shared with their gods. And you know, the Greek, if you've uh, read Percy Jackson or if you've been watching the TV show recently, I have. I, I, it's, it's been like, you know, like if, you've, if you want a quick way to hit 20 books in a year, just read through the Percy Jackson series. You'll hit like six of them in a month. And so I'm just binging through them. And so you'll see, you'll see gods like Zeus and Hera and Poseidon and Apollos and Ares and all these things. And, and all these things come up in the Percy Jackson series. I don't know why I'm giving them a shout out, but I enjoy them. But the thing about these gods were that they are described to be distant and fickle. The Greeks believed that these gods, you know, Zeus and Ares and Poseidon and Hades, that they were powerful gods. They believed them to be truly powerful, but they also believed that they were too busy to deal with their human matters because they were constantly fighting among themselves. And so when they prayed to these gods, there was no assurance that these gods would actually answer them. So the only way for the Greeks to get attention of these gods would be to ask and ask and ask and ask and ask. It's just kind of the the chances of probability. The more times you do it, the more likely you are to to get an answer from the gods. And when they did ask, and when they come in prayer to these Greek gods, they they would spend their time reminding the gods of what they've done to please them. He's like, you know, hey, Poseidon, he's a god of the sea. I threw that fish back in the water. You know what I'm saying? So I was taking care of your fishies. How about you help a boy out? You know what I'm saying? Help me help, me help you out, right? So, there's, so the way that the Greeks prayed to the gods was that their prayers were ultimately transactional. I'll give you what you want and you give me what I want. And Jesus says, this is not the kind of relationship you have with God as father. The, the relationship in which you share with him is far different we don't have to keep asking God again and again and again and again and again in the hopes that he'd attend to us and come to us. If you were here last week, we would remember that disciples of Jesus don't have to pray long prayers to God to get his attention because through Jesus, we have direct access to the father. So whether your prayer is long or your prayer is short, the father will always come to meet you in the secret place, but also because God is your father Our prayers are never meant to be transactional where we convince God that we've done enough to get what we want for him. Instead here, Jesus is inviting us into a new view of prayer. He's challenging the notion that our prayer life exists as a tool to get whatever we want from God. And so Jesus says that when we pray, we are to pray knowing that our father knows what we need before we ask him. That's a super interesting way to think about prayer, don't you think? Because how, how do most people view prayer? It's easy to think that prayer is about getting things from God. Or, or, or my favorite, it's like we're informing God. Like, hey, I don't know if you, I don't know if you noticed me over here, but, but, but I kind of want to tell you what's going on in my life. It's kind of like writing a little diary. Today I needed this, and tomorrow I needed that or maybe that he's overlooked your circumstances. It's, it's, it's kind of like sending God one of those work emails that we hate to get. Hey God, hope this email finds you well. I just wanted to circle back, you know, which is like corporate talk for like, where are you at, you know? Uh, I hope, I hope you want to circle back and just kind of readdress my previous email. But prayer is not informing God Because, as verse 8 tells us, he knows what we need before we even ask him. So the question becomes why pray if God knows what I need? See, the Gentiles prayed so that they could get something from their Greek gods, thinking that they know what is best for their lives. But for the Christian, it is different. See, the Christian prays in order to know what the desires of God's heart are. See, this is what happens in prayer. When we meet God in prayer, he shows up fully and he begins to speak to us. This is the intent of prayer, a two-way conversation. God wants you to know him. That's the purpose of meeting with God in the secret place as you read in Matthew 6, verse 6 but do you know what it actually means to know God? It means to know his will, his desires, his character, his thoughts, his commands, his heart. And the reason why we need to know the heart of God is because in order for us to know what to pray, we must know why we are praying them. You see, if we don't know God's heart, the content of our prayers will be misaligned. See, the purpose of knowing God's heart is so that we would align ourselves with his desires. We need to know the heart of God so that we know what to pray for because what Jesus is saying here is when you pray, pray what God wants. Pray what he desires See, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and he's speaking to a real jacked up church, and so he has to say it very clearly here. It says 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. He says that we are not our own. If you are a disciple of Jesus, if you are a follower of Christ, you are to know that you are not your own, but that you as a disciple, as a child of God, have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the reason for your existence now is to glorify God until the day you die. And what this means is that our desires, our wants, our thoughts, our dreams, our actions, every fiber of our being is now submitted to the desires of whom? Of God, the Father. Prayer then becomes a mean to having the will of God lived out in our lives In prayer, God graciously gives us and reveals to us his vision, his desire, and his heart. As we spend more and more time with God in prayer, he downloads his desires into us. So knowing this, this is what prayer is. Prayer is not about getting more from God, but rather it's to get more of God in us. Okay? It's not getting more from God because he knows what you need before you even ask. He knows what you'll need. So prayer is not getting more from him. It's more of getting more of God in you. We pray not to inform God, but we pray to be formed by God. And as we have the heart of God formed more and more in us, do you know what the result will be? We will pray the things of God. And now you might be thinking, well, why would I give a rip? Maybe not you, but I did. And maybe you don't, but I've done it. And I still sometimes am like, why why would I pray what God wants? I've got all this thing I desire. Doesn't God care about what I want? I love what Paul says about the will of God, about God's desire. He says in Romans 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 2, he says that the will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect. Do you know whose will often is none of those things, if anyone, me, me. Look, let's be honest. I think I'm a nice person. If you know me, I hope you say the same. But when I'm alone and I'm at home, and when i think about what i want for my life or sometimes if i if i have to have a meeting and, I, and i've just had meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting i go god i prayed, no more meetings take that person out i don't know what you have to do but make sure my my calendar gets clear like there's nothing against the person it's just i i rather be left alone sometimes than have to talk to people and not because i'm introverted it's because sometimes I'm just selfish. Definitely my will is definitely not good, acceptable and perfect, but you know whose is? It is God's. And it is to Him and His will upon which we latch onto. And that's why we go to God and we ask of Him, "God, and this is my prayer. God, would you make your heart my heart?" Would you make your desires my desires? Would your will be my will? Would your thoughts become my thoughts? God, please make me more like you. In the following verses, Jesus is going to give us a practical view of the kind of things that we can and should pray for as followers of Jesus. Because as, we, I, I, as we've said, once you know the father's heart, you, you, you know now what he desires for us, but sometimes you're like, I, I still don't know what that means, okay? Like what, what, is, what does God actually want me to pray for? Well, then Jesus says this, verse nine, pray then like this. Now, before we continue, when he says, pray then like this, he's not saying, when you pray, you must pray, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, uh, on earth, uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Let me restart. Uh, our father, in, like you, you don't have to do that. Uh, you don't have to repeat it repetitively, our father in heaven. Like, uh, this is, this is uh, you don't have to, no. That's not why God is doing this. Jesus is giving this, this, this prayer, what is often called the Lord's prayer, as a template that means that something which to give us a basis to begin our prayers with. It's kind of to give us a view of what our prayers can and ought to look like. It's not a replacement for your prayers, but it just gives us categories of prayers. See, what Jesus is about to do here is he's, he's going to help Christians, help disciples of Jesus develop a vocabulary of prayer. It helps round out uh, the diet of our prayer. It's it's kind of like uh, like a food pyramid. You know, you, have you seen a food pyramid? You know, for some of us, our pyramids are kind of inverted, where uh, sugar and processed foods are our main food group. Kind of like you know, kind of like Will Ferrell and Elf. You know, there's candy cane and. Candy cane and candy corn and all, right, well, I don't, I haven't watched it enough and whatever, but you know what I mean. Sugar and processed food is homeboy's main category, right? And so what, so what Jesus is saying is, hey, I want to teach you uh, what, what the content of your prayers should look like so that your prayer life doesn't become anemic. I want you to have a full prayer life, not full of just petitions, but you would have prayers of other kinds. And the reason why we should give credence to this template is because Jesus knows how to pray the perfect prayer. Jesus knows how to pray in accordance to the Father's heart. He, uh, he says this, uh, John, the, the apostle John uh, writes Jesus, Jesus saying this in, in John chapter five, verse 19. He says, the son can do nothing, okay, nothing, zilch, nada, of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. So what this is indicating to us as we read this is that if there is anybody who knows how to pray a prayer that pleases the father, it's gonna be who? It's gonna be Jesus. And so Jesus prays perfectly. So he is the perfect one to teach us about prayer. He knows how to pray prayers that please the father and prayers that the father is pleased to answer. So we should take the following words seriously as it pertains to a life of prayer. He says, our father in heaven hallowed be your name. So immediately we see that our prayers as we learned last week are must be directed to God and not in some informal sense, but in the most intimate of senses that our prayers are to be directed to our father in heaven. And the request here to our Father first is, hallowed be your name. Now, what does that word hallowed mean? It, is, it simply means to, to set apart, to sanctify, to, to make sure that it is in, in category with nothing else, that it is set aside for particular use, that it would be set aside so that it would touch nothing else, that it was perfect and not to be, not to be muddled with anything else. So he says, your name, Your name is to be set apart above all things, that it would be revered upon all things. And so for his name to be hallowed means that the name of Jesus is to to have number one authority and number one placement in our hearts, but not just our hearts, but it would be reaching out to the hearts of everyone in the world. Because he's saying, hallowed be your name. He's not restricting it just to us. He's saying everybody should know you as God, as Yahweh, as Father. Because what the world needs more than anything else is an encounter with God. That's what the world needs. It doesn't need you to get more rich. It doesn't need for you to be more generous. It doesn't need for you to be better. It doesn't need more of you while we are the hands and feet of Jesus and we are invited into becoming part of the story of God's redemption on this planet. It doesn't, it's we are pointing people to the thing they need, which is Jesus. And so when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're saying is God, what we want more than anything else is for the world to know you and fully as you are. And then Jesus says, Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that word, that, that phrase, your kingdom come, see, for Jesus, his mission was kingdom focused. His mission was to bring the kingdom of God and and bring it into the earth. This is why when Jesus begins his earthly ministry as he's teaching, he says repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. But the kingdom is not, and just to clarify, a geographical location. It is not a building. It is not a castle. It is not what we kind of imagine in the movies uh, like what a kingdom would look like where there's city walls and these towers and you have archers on the wall. I've watched Lord of the Rings, you know? And so they're like, this is not what the kingdom, this this is not the kingdom of Gondor. The kingdom of God is a person. And that person is Jesus. Because the kingdom of God means nothing without its king. The kingdom of God is only as beautiful. The kingdom of God is only as great. The kingdom of God needs to be ushered in, not because uh, the people need a place to be. It's because they need Jesus, the one who brings people from death to life, the one who brings deliverance to the captives, the one who sets a sight to the blind. We need that Jesus to come in his kingly rule over this world so that all these false kingdoms that seek you to bring you into their place, to to rob you and take from you would be denounced and crushed under the heel and feet of Jesus so that you would be set free to go from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. This is what it means to pray your kingdom come, Lord. And then it says that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I want you to know that is one of the most scary yet most beautiful prayers you could actually pray in all your existence. If you want to know a prayer that would shake the very foundations of the world, it is to pray, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because do you know what the will of God is? The will of God is to reform and redeem and remake this world into what it what, into what it was before sin came into it. See, we walk in this life and we think, man, this you know this life is just hard, and we assume it's normal. We assume the anger and the anxiety and the fear that we experience on, every, on a daily basis is what's normal and it's not. What, what we pray for when we say, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is to say, God, we want earth to look like heaven. And if you want to know what heaven will look like, you just read the book of Revelation where there is no more sin, there is no more suffering, there will be no more crying, there will never be any more pain, there will never be any more struggles. Everything would be perfect. Wouldn't you want that here? Of course you would. Of course you would. So why don't you pray it? So why don't we pray it? or is it just because we don't think he'll do it? See, there is too much for us as Christians, as children of God, to get done. When we think about all the things that God invites us into as his children, there's just too much for any of us to actually make a dent unless the power of God manifests itself. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what we are saying is, God, we want your power to descend on this place and for you to do only what you can do so that the earth may come closer to life in heaven. Our prayers activates the power of God on earth. It literally rips it from heaven and manifests it here in the world. See, prayer begins in us and then flows out from us. We are the vessels of God's grace and power to a broken and death-filled world. And as we walk in the power of God, as we pray these prayers and we have it be done in our lives and then exemplify it out there, why do you think it is that God gives us that power and authority? It's so that the world would know him. See, our Lord here is teaching us to pray that the whole world may come to know God, that the whole world would come and honor God, that our deep desire would be for everyone to know the glory of God. Jesus says this in John 17, verse three, and this is eternal life that they know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Uh, Paul says in Romans 1.16, he says this about preaching the gospel so that people would know him. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, the reason why we pray or, the, or, the, or what Jesus orients us to think about is that when we pray, we're asking that the world would know God as he is and that it would fuel all of our prayers. And let me just tell you, as the world would come to know who God is, do you know what would happen? Revival would happen. And I don't mean that like like an arbitrary thing, like we can force a revival to happen. What I'm saying is the only way for revival in in a world, in a community, in a city, in a church, to break out is if the people know who God is but we can't do that. You can tell people all you want about who Jesus is, but unless the Holy Spirit convicts their heart, it means nothing. And so in prayer, we go to God to do only what he can do and reveal himself to to them just as he's revealed himself to us. And who is God? I forgot to write down who, who said this, but uh, it was in a commentary I read today. It says, we have called him Jehovah Elohim, the one true God. El Elyon, the God most high. Jehovah Jireh, the the Lord will provide. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner. Adonai, the Lord Jesus Christ. But he is also the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the Ancient of Days, seated upon the throne of heaven. His titles are Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is the righteous judge of the universe. He is our rock and our high tower. What more can we say of our God? Can we say that he is the way? Certainly, for he is the way, the truth, and the life. For he is the source of our life, the sustainer of life. He is life itself. He is the light of the world, the bread of life. He is the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, He is the Lord of hosts. He is the King of kings. He is the faithful one. He is love. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, of Moses, David, Isaiah, Elizabeth, Anna, Simeon, and John the Baptist. He is the God of Peter, James, John, Timothy, Apollos, and Paul. And he is not only their God, he is my God. And what we get to do in prayer is say, God, would you be their God as well? Thank you. This is what we pray for, that the world would know God. And so what Jesus is teaching us here is that prayer is is more beautifully done when it is directed off of ourselves and onto the world. Who do you pray for? Who do you pray for? Do you pray for your friends and for your family and the community and this church? Do you pray for Winter Garden? Do you pray for the city of Orlando? Do you pray for all these people to know him do you pray for people to know God? Do you pray for your enemies? This one messed me up. I forgot about it. I was like, oh shoot, Matthew 5 44. Jesus says to pray for those who persecute you. I was like, I definitely don't pray for that man or girl. I don't know. But Jesus says, pray that they would know God, that God would turn them from enemies into family, lest we forget we were once dead we were once blind and were it not for God, we would still be in the kingdom of darkness. So why would we not pray for others to know him? And then finally he says here in verses 11 through 13, Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so part, you see, sometimes we we hear this teaching and say, okay, the Lord wants us to pray for others and pray for the world to know him. But then what about me? And here's the thing, God's like, I haven't forgotten you. I'm just trying to teach you to reorient your focus you want to know what I, want, what I care for, when I care about, I care about people knowing me, but I also care about my people knowing that they can depend on me. See, on this side of heaven, we are all tempted by the thought that we are to be self-sufficient, that we can get through our days purely on our strength alone, on our knowledge alone, on our charisma alone, on our accolades alone, on whatever, fill in the blank. But in order to truly pray, what Jesus is saying here, Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, lead us not into temptation. You have to recognize that if God doesn't do it, it will not happen. That if you depend on yourself, you're going to be miserable. That you're going to exhaust yourself and kill yourself over trying to make sure all of these things happen. Most of these things cannot happen on your own. Or have we forgotten that we, without God, nothing is possible? And what Jesus is teaching here is that it is God's responsibility to take care of us. It is God's great joy to care for his people. And this section is teaching us to, that we are to grow. As we pray, we grow in our dependence on God. I just wanna just read this one section from Paul in the book of Ephesians, he writes this. He's like, man, I, I know what your life is like, I know how difficult it is, and I know that you need much from God, but this is my prayer for you. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my heart, uh, remembering you in my prayers, that the Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to what He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and He seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age but in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as the head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all this is the one upon which we throw ourselves to do you think you can do a better job than this I know I can't I know I can't and neither can you And so as we pray, as we as we've walked through the Lord's Prayer, what God wants us to hear is I care for you. I desire you. I love you. And it is my responsibility to care for you. And I have not forgotten you, and I will never abandon you. Remember me as the one who is above all, has all authority and all power. And I designate it unto you. You see. What Jesus is driving at ultimately in this teaching is this. It's that the content of our prayers must match the desires of God's heart. If you want to know what God cares about. Look at the Lord's prayer and you'll see he cares about people knowing who he is and he cares about you knowing that you can depend on him in all circumstances, that he will give you your daily bread, that he will forgive you of your sins, that he will protect you from Satan and any principality, any authority that seeks to consume you. He can do it. And so we pray those things because those are the things that God cares about. But then what, you see, the problem is, if I tell you this and you're like, well, I guess I just have to remember that. I have to try harder. I have to want those things. And here's, I just, I just want to remind you of this one reality. Ezekiel chapter 36 is a prophecy written by uh, the prophet Ezekiel. And he, and he testifies about it. He prophesies about a time in which the people of God would be given a new heart. And this is what he says about the people who have been given a new heart. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so what Jesus is saying and what through the prophet Ezekiel is this. He goes, when you put your faith in Jesus, when you're learning how to grow in your prayers, as you follow Jesus, Jesus and emulate his prayers. You're not trying to muster up the desire for what God wants. He's saying is once you've put your faith in Jesus and Jesus will give you a new heart and a spirit within you that will cause you to want the things that God wants. You're not having to try harder. I'm here to remind you that this is who you are as a child of God. Now, as the, the, don't, don't get it twisted. Your, your soul existence is not to glorify yourself or to get things for yourself. It is to glorify God and you have the heart necessary through Jesus to be obedient to him through his spirit to cause you to walk in his statutes for the rest of the days of your life. And as we pray and live in the power of God, the world would know him. Redemption and restoration will flow from heaven. This is what is invited to us as we learn how to pray. Uh, I wanted to just give us, uh, like last week, a very simple uh, way of remembering this as we think about the Lord's prayer, as we think about, man, what what should we pray for? And so uh, I, uh, the teaching team and I, when we're thinking through, it, hey, how can we practically make this uh, applicable in people's lives? Um, Victoria Googled it and she and, uh she found this acronym called PRAY. So it was gonna be really easy. What should we pray for? Well, I'm gonna pray. And so uh, if just it's not behind me, so you're gonna to need to write this down on your phone or write this down in your journal. But the acronym PRAY is P, it's praise. R is repent. A is for ask. And Y is for yield. And this this acronym is based off of what the Lord's prayer is inviting us into, that we praise God, praise him for who he is, praise him to the nations that we would come into his courts of thanksgiving and we would praise his name that the world would know who he is. And then the repentance that we would confess and say, God, I have—I—I my heart is divided. I don't know what, what to give you. I don't know how to pray for the things that you want, but, but God, would you give me the grace to desire the things that you desire? And then A is for asking that you would ask God in accordance to what he wants. God, I'm seeing your word and I want to know what to pray. God, God, help me pray these things. I'm asking you to accomplish these things. And then finally, Y is yield, which is just to wait on God. You can't make God do anything. No matter how long or short your prayers are, you're just waiting in obedience, waiting on God to accomplish all the things that he said he would accomplish. So as we finish this time together, my encouragement for us is that may we become obsessed with what God wants. May we be completely sold out on the things that he desires. See, this world needs Jesus and he invites us to usher in the reign of Jesus through our prayers. Let's pray. God, there is no doing full justice to all that we've covered today. And so God, I I pray that you would teach us and continue to teach us and remold us and and have us just, just sit at your feet, just as the disciples sat at Jesus' feet on the mountainside. God, help us be students of your way. May we learn to pray not focus on ourselves, but focus on the desires that God has. May our prayers be more reflective of that reality. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and for your kindness. Help us pray like Jesus. Would we see heaven on earth? God, actually, tonight, not as the pastor of Mosaic Young Adults, but as a brother to this community, I pray for this community tonight as we respond in worship. I pray this, that we would experience here, heaven your freedom and your glory and your power and your presence and your mercy and your grace and your justice and your goodness, all of it would flow in this place tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use this message you just received and direct your heart completely towards Him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.